Welcome to the QAV podcast. If you're brand new, I just want to introduce the podcast a little bit so you know what you're getting yourself into. If you've listened to the show before, feel free to just fast forward a minute or two. If you're brand new, here's the deal. Uh, my name's Cameron Riley. Tony Kynaston is an old friend of mine. He's a very successful share market investor. I'm talking very, very, very successful. He's been doing it 30 years. He's one of the best in the country in terms of a private investor. Very good uh, track record over 30 years. And what this podcast is about is Tony basically teaches me everything that he knows about investing in the stock market. And you get to listen. But if you're coming into this for the first time, you'll find that this episode, the current episodes, assume a certain level of prior knowledge. We assume that you know what we're talking about, his system, his methodology, which we explain in earlier episodes. So feel free to listen if you want to get the vibe for what's going on, but some of it's not going to make much sense unless you understand what the checklist is, etc. I recommend if you're brand new, you go back and listen to uh, Season 3, Episode 1, Episode 3 and Episode 5, where we go into Tony's background and his system and his methodology in a lot more detail. And then feel free to listen to the contemporary episodes, the current episodes, you'll understand more of the context of what we're talking about. With that, let's get into today's show. Welcome back to QAV, Tony Kynaston, episode uh, 352, season 352, and depending on who you believe, uh, <laughs> your prediction that Donald Trump would win the election is wrong, or it was completely <laughs> right and it was stolen from him. And if you want to know more, just turn up to the Four Seasons Landscaping Car Park this afternoon where Rudy Giuliani will be giving another press conference. Yeah, well, you know, I was wrong in predicting Trump, but I think my math was still pretty good. It was pretty pretty bloody it, close, man. It was, wasn't it? That's the biggest turnout in voting history, which means even though Biden was 4 million voters more than Trump, Trump was the second biggest turnout in voting history. <laughs> and, and my math was... He had rock-solid 38% support, and I, I did some numbers over the weekend, and I think uh, something like 250 million, million Americans are able to vote, so they're 18 or older, and so 38% of that was something like around just in the low 90s, and uh, he got 70, so he got a lot of his supporters out there, and 70 would have been enough to win, I think, almost every other election in American history. <laughs> I just can't believe. I think last time, 2016, he got 63 million votes. So 7 million extra people had a look at the last four years and went, yeah, yeah, that's... Yeah, give me more. Give me more of that. That's great. <laughs> that's what we want. <laughs> no, I'm sure, I'm sure a lot of people, I'm sure, as I'm sure a lot of the Democrats who voted for Biden didn't like Biden, Biden really. Uh, yeah. They just, it was a vote yeah. against Trump. I'm sure the opposite is true. A lot of people who voted for Trump, a lot of Republicans don't like Trump mm. per se, but uh, don't like the prospect of a democratic administration because there'll be abortions happening on every street corner and they'll take their guns and they'll be taxed back at 92% mm. like they were in the good old days. Um but as we well, I think it's more than that, Cam, and Biden has to be aware of this. It's people who are saying, a bit like a, uh, Queensland did during the Australian election, and they said, 
you know, don't don't feed us policies on climate change. We're coal miners. We need a job. Okay, if you want to, you want to talk about climate change, tell us where we get a job to replace our current one. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of that. Or with the with the blue collar workers who, who voted for. Well, Trump. I have the answer to that. It's well, you're not going to have a job, but we're just going to give you a, an income. We're going to pay for it with quantitative easing. Um, you'll just get us. You know, we're going to uh, give you a, a, a salary to replace your existing salary in perpetuity. Um, because well, for the rest of your life or to your retirement age, because. We don't want you to mine coal anymore, and we don't have anything to replace it with for you, so we'll just give you free cash. Thank you very much. Have a nice Ooh. day. Easy. And we have MMT. Yeah. You, you might have to do a bit of work. You might have to go and caddy for Trump every now and then <laughs> on the golf course. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, go caddy for Trump. Um, but we were just laughing before we started the recording that uh, our dummy portfolio today is up. Uh, currently 7.46% since the start of September. I think last week when we did the show, it was like a 2%. Uh, the market, the Australian market, has boomed since then. Hamish Douglas from Magellan uh, told investors last week that uh, the US election win for Biden, if it is offset by a Republican-controlled Senate, which is still... Remains to be seen. I think it's at a tie last I looked, and I think there's a runoff in Georgia in January, but he said that would be a Nirvana outcome for the share market. Uh, And I read something else today in the Fin. Somebody said, uh, Wall Street has done best under Democrat presidents with an average return of 14.6% per annum since 1927, compared with an average return under Republican presidents of 9.8% per annum. That was from Dr. Oliver. I'm not sure who he is, but uh, there you go. Some fundy or something, I think. Uh, Possibly Shane Oliver, the uh, head economist at AMP. That sounds right. Yeah. AMP is still a thing. Oh, okay. (laughs) Not for much longer. All right. I don't think. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there you go. Uh, however, I think this is Dr. Oliver again. The best average result has actually occurred when there's been a Democrat president and a Republican control of the House, the Senate, or both. This has seen an average return of 16.4% per annum. So, uh, there you go. The market seems to be happy with the outcome anyway so far. Well, I hope that's right. And we're, you know, if we can get double market, we'll be very happy, won't we? Yes. Uh, all thanks to Joe Biden. We should have supported J. David Markham more <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> since it was in our, our best interest financially. Yeah, no, no one knows who you're talking about on this show, Tony. Oh, so okay. it's, the joke goes yeah, out to the wind. Our died in the wool Democrat uh, friend. Yeah, crazy. Crazy Democrat. Just as, as crazy as a Trump Republican he is, but on the other side. But we mm. love him anyway. So... Um, Mm. Well, so that's uh, the US election news out of the way for this week. Uh, let's talk about your uh, Melbourne Cup tip, uh, just uh, in the same vein as your prediction that Trump <laughs> would win the election last week. Your prediction about, I don't know, who was the horse? I can't even, I've blocked it out of my memory. I lost so much money on it. I was listening to the free show and you cut it off before I gave my tip. So for those people, it was Twilight Payment. <laughs> <laughs> ah! Yeah, that was deliberate to make you look good. Yeah, yeah to save your reputation. Yeah, we had a recording glitch before yeah, I could give it yeah, out. Yeah. <laughs> That's honestly what it was, though. Is that who won? I'm sure who it was. Twilight Payment won. No, I tipped Russian Camelot, which ran eighth. Yeah. 
least yeah. it so, didn't uh, end up having to be shot. Who was that? Van, de, Van Dyke or something? Anthony Van Dyke, mm. yeah. Yeah, very sad. I think there'll be a lot of soul-searching done by by Racing Victoria to, to try and fix that problem because it always seems to be the overseas horses in the Melbourne Cup that uh, come a cropper. And it's uh, it's never... A, it's never a good look for the industry. It's not a good thing for the horses. And it's if you just wanted to be cold-blooded about it, it's a financial loss for the owners. So uh, I think, you know, action will be taken to fix that. Mm. And uh, your your horse too uh, ran, was it in the the Cox? Was it the Cox you had a horse in last week? No, not the Cox Plate. Oaks. No, we had a horse race um, on Oaks Day right. in a sprint race on Oaks Day. Ran fourth, yeah. I, th- I know the universe isn't giving me any. Um, well, it gave us Joe Biden, so I can't complain. Maybe all those things balance out. Maybe it's calm. I think I'm down fifty <laughs> bucks on your horse tips so far, Tony. It's uh, good thing the market's up. <laughs> <laughs> Take with the left hand, give with the, the right. other. But uh, that, well, that's a good thing. I mean, you, the worst the worst thing uh, for someone who's just starting out in the in the uh, betting market is to have a big win at the start because then they just think <laughs> you get it's, cocky. it's a lot. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, you're deliberately losing me money. I see. It's all part of the plan. I appreciate that. Um, the other thing, big news I wanted to talk about this week is the Reserve Bank have decided that Australia is now well and truly in the quantitative easing slash MMT camp. Yeah, I mean, gee, it's a. Uh, I guess they have to do it just to be competitive with the rest of the world. If they don't do it, then you know a dollar rises, which hurts imports, etc. But, but I, I, when I saw it, I, I thought, let's invert this. What would it, what would Australia and the economy be like if interest rates here were still four or five percent? And uh, I think we wouldn't be seeing property bubbles. We wouldn't be seeing stock market bubbles, especially in the tech stock sector. Uh, and we would have a, a retirement you know, cohort that can put their money in the bank and, and live off the dividends. And the flip side would be you have a lot of foreign investment flowing into Australia to to buy our bonds or to or to put money into our banks, and that's got to be a good thing as well. So I'm not necessarily convinced about cutting interest rates and, and, and it being good for the economy. Personally, I think we've cut to we've cut so far that any more cuts don't have much of an impact on us. So uh, I I had to read through this a couple of times to get my head around it, but my understanding, tell me if you agree, is that the Reserve Bank have announced that they are going to buy pretty much any and all government bonds. I think it's $100 billion dollars over the next something like six months, and they're going to keep buying them for, I think, four years. So the government creates a bond. It sells the bonds to institutional investors, and then the RBA turns around and buys them off the institutional investors, giving money to the institutional investors, which then is supposed to make its way as cheap money into the marketplace to fund business loans, et cetera, et cetera. Is that how it works? Yeah, pretty much, except the last part often falls down and the money doesn't flow anywhere past the balance sheet of the investment banks. But, but yeah, that's pretty much how it works. And, and the other thing you left out was the Reserve Bank pays for it 
with a balance sheet transaction, there's never any there's never any borrowings by the Reserve Bank or extra funding from the government to buy the bonds. It just buys them. Where does the Reserve Bank <laughs> get the money from to buy them? It doesn't. That's the whole point. But it, it, That's the whole part it, of MMT. It's it's one. It's probably the only case of double entry bookkeeping in the world where where you don't have a credit with a debit. It just it just creates the money. Correct. It's called balance sheet expansion. So they've they've popped these bonds on their balance sheet, which has made their their balance sheet bigger, but they haven't used any any money to really buy them. Well, they have. They've had to pay the people for the for the bonds, but they can do that somehow. I don't really understand the accounting treatment of it. It's uh, and then they warehouse those bonds, and you know they've got a plan to sell them at some stage in the future, which. If you look at Japan, it could be 30 or 40 years down the track and get their money back and then it just disappears again. But it's a very strange accounting treatment. I think it's time we play uh, this clip again. Thank you very much for your time tonight. It's my great pleasure to be with you. Good now, evening. You're an economist working in the banking sector, yeah? I am. Should I get a lawyer? I think I'm entitled to legal representation. If we no, 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 no. This is just a few simple questions. Don't simple worry. questions? Yeah. How simple? Well, they're theoretical. Theoretical. Questions. I can yeah. deal. Yeah, okay, we can deal with that. Yeah. I mean, don't hold me to the answers, but. Why not? Well, because I'm an economist and I can think of a different set of circumstances under which my responses might vary somewhat. Yeah, and everything's connected to everything else, isn't In it? In economics, I'm afraid that is the global fear right at the moment, yeah. Now, right, there's a, a lot of uncertainty in world economics, isn't there? There is a great deal of uncertainty and a lack of confidence. Yeah, yes. and there's a lot of talk of quantitative easing. What, quantitative that's a term easing, we yes. hear all the time. That's a term you hear a lot at the moment, yes. Yeah, what exactly is quantitative easing? Well, I can answer this because actually we're advising um, a couple of governments about this right at the moment. And what are you saying to them? Uh, what well, Perhaps I should just take you through what we're telling them to do. Yeah, sure. I mean, I right. won't go into a lot of detail. No, that's be good. discreet, but this will mm. give you an idea of how quantitative easing works. Yep. Take printer out of box and mm. place on table with the out tray <laughs> facing the window. The out tray facing the window. That's right. Load paper into the paper receptacle and place currency on glass tray F. Right. Check alignment by printing out a test page. Right. Go into copy settings and select double-sided and the number of copies you require. How many would you suggest? In the case of one of our clients, it's 80 billion. 120 billion in the case of another client, and one client wants a trillion of these things. Can you get printers to do that? No, you can't. You're going to need a bank of them. I mean, it's a multi-printer job. Ones, yeah, you? big industrial strength. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Big like a Bofors gun, all facing yeah. the window. Yeah. 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 Uh, once you've ascertained um, that uh, you have the alignment correct, yeah. uh, you alert the banking sector, open the window, and press copy. And stand well back. Yes, you've got to stand well back because they can create a bit of a vacuum while reaching cruising height. Whereabouts? In the super fund <laughs> industry very often. And you'd have to consider the wind direction too, oh, wouldn't yeah, you? you don't yeah. want to be doing this upwind. No, because you'd covered in pretend money, couldn't you? you covered in what? Pretend money. No, this is not pretend <laughs> money. This is real currency we're creating. But aren't you here. just printing it off? I mean, these are photocopies, aren't they? Excuse me. Dave, this is not going to work. <laughs> because I've just explained it to a bloke and he saw through it straight away. <laughs> are you in banking? <laughs> no. No, he's not even in the banking racket. Mm. Okay, I'll try that. Try what? Have you ever heard of Rumpelstiltskin? No. <laughs> Good. Now we're getting somewhere. Pull up a chair. I'll tell you a tale. That was uh, nine years ago. Uh, Clark and yeah. Dor. Uh, <clears throat> there you go. Still relevant today. Just uh, open up the yeah. window and print money. Big as a bofer's gun. I love that line. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, there you go, Australia. Just uh, our economy's doing so great, Tony. So great. We've dropped interest rates to point one percent, and we're just printing hundred billion dollars of uh, money. Yeah. Good times. 
Yep. Yep. And the share market's just gone up five or six percent today. So it's all good. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And that reminds me, too, that uh, people might, well, people will need to change their copy of our QAV spreadsheet because interest rates have been cut. So the hurdle rate we use for our IV2 calculation is now 6.1%, down from 6.5. And our hurdle rate for a company's yield being above bank debt has come down as well. And I put that number in the stock journal. I think it was now 2.68, which was about the cheapest big four bank mortgage I could find when I did a search today. Wow. Good time to borrow lots and lots and lots of money. It is, isn't it? Mm. Exactly. Mm. And, and I will feel really pissed off if we get to the end of this economic cycle, if we ever do, and we haven't got you know top-notch hospitals and schools on every corner and four-lane highways through our cities because the government should be borrowing every cent it can to with interest rates this low. And gotten rid of the coal industry and just given all those people, uh, what, what do they call it? There's a name for that. <laughs> Trump Universal Trump uh, basic Caddy income, jobs. UBI. Right. Trump caddy, yeah. UBI slash Trump, Trump caddy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about. Well, yeah, well, that's right. They, I mean, they should be. If it was a different political persuasion, and and our government stands alone in the world now. Even the US with Biden is saying they're going to be, you know, eliminating their carbons by twenty forty. Mm. I think that was the the number, the date. Mm. Uh, you know, we should be borrowing and building solar power farms across the, all the deserts in the middle of Australia. It's just. It's just staggering that we're not future-proofing our economy and future-proofing our future. Well, maybe, maybe, basically. maybe China might help us down that path soon. Right? <laughs> Saying, you know what, we're when not buying any more of your coal. Congratulations on aligning yourselves with Trump, Australia. Uh, <laughs> good luck with that. Uh, you're now all alone. Uh, let's talk about. It isn't so. Sorry, I was just going to make a point there. It is interesting because the, the Chinese government is is talking about banning a lot of our imports at the moment. And it reminds me of that uh, Hartsfield Landing episode uh, that Aaron Sorkin rewrote recently and aired on one of the streaming services, which was really good. And uh, President Bartlett was playing chess with Sam Seaborn and he's, the Chinese were sending battle cruisers into this, I think it was the China Sea because Taiwan was about to have its first free uh, election and they didn't like that. And uh, Bartlett kept very cool and kept saying, see the whole board to Sam, mm-hmm. who was worried that there's going to be a military conflict because Bartlett was sending the US carriers in to, to block the Chinese. And, of course, the Chinese were after something completely else. They wanted some other other uh, concession mm-hmm. that they were negotiating mm-hmm. as well. And I can't, I, I can't help but think the timing of this move by China against our imports coincides with the, the White House changing power and, and they're just basically you know, firing a shot across our bow and say, you know, be very careful what you do with the new president when he comes knocking and asking you for your support. Yeah. Well, I think it all got tied up in the the trade war and Trump trying to blame COVID on China and uh, ScoMo jumping on board the beat up China thing. I'm sure ScoMo had his own uh, economic incentives for doing that. Maybe thought he'd get something more out of the Trump administration. But uh, anyway, not good. Not good for Australian exporters. Not good at all. No. Let's talk about the CAA consolidation, Tony. Um, we purchased this stock only a couple of weeks ago, and it's just gone through a fire, uh, one for 30 
consolidation. Uh, can you explain to me why why they did that and what it means for us as investors in CAA? Well, effectively, it means nothing to us as investors. They just they just uh, multiplied the share price by thirty and divided the number of shares on issue by thirty. So. Uh, if, if people out there are listening who have bought CAA shares, they should expect a notification from the registry saying that their sh- the number of shares that they hold has gone down by 30. But if they check the price, it's gone up by 30. I don't subscribe to these kinds of things. I think it's uh, I think it's a bit of a I think it's bad psychology, but but it's basically psychology that that is used to justify this and. And CAA came out and said that they thought having a 15 cent share price was was keeping people from investing in them because uh, people equate uh, a low share price with a small company, even though that's not the case with CAA. And they were also saying they also came out and said that their share price, because it was so small, was being day traded too much. And I'm not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing or, or really means anything, really. Uh, but that was their reasoning for doing the consolidation. So now their share price is around $5, where it was around $0.15 cents before. We need to tell them that it's not how big it is, it's what you do with it that counts. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And that's always been the... Like, people criticised Buffett for years for having a share price that was so big people couldn't invest in it. And uh, and he always said, it doesn't matter. <laughs> you know, it's, that's what it is. I'm not going to... Split it just to to make it more liquid. Mm. If you want to buy it, buy one. <laughs> and then, of course, what happened was Wall Street being Wall Street, people set up funds and bought Berkshire Hathaway shares at a couple of hundred thousand dollars each, and then sold shares in the fund for a hundred dollars a share. So basically, people could buy a, a fractional ownership of a Berkshire Hathaway share for a hundred dollars. And Buffett didn't like the fact that people in Wall Street were benefiting from that, so he actually did issue what's called. Baby Burks, so you, you can buy other the Berkshire B shares. At, 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 I think they were one three hundredth of the price of a Berkshire A share, and you get all the the same benefits of that. You, your vote's worth one three hundredth of a vote um, at the Berkshire Hathaway AGM. They don't pay a dividend, so there's no impact on, on the dividends. But yeah, similar sort of psychology. Do you get to turn up? But in reverse, do you get an invite to the AGM. Yeah, you do get to turn up. Wow. Hmm. All right. Now, this week, we promised we would make time to talk about the Kelly's Heroes criterion, a.k.a. <laughs> the negative waves. Uh, did you want to do that before or after we do our Q&A for the week? Let's do it before. But before we do that, I've got two more things to talk about, and we've touched on them already. So just let me circle back on CAA and Sandfire. So capital aluminium, I wanted. I, I felt uneasy about the, about the answer I gave to the question, which I think may have come from Brett last week, I'm not sure, about whether CAA was a good investment because it was an aluminium manufacturer and therefore a rising aluminium price would be its input cost. And uh, I said it, I didn't think it really mattered because they would be able to raise prices as well. And just to just to elaborate on that, uh, if, you know, if uh, they, they're able to raise prices, and you expect that they probably will, uh, if they are getting a, a, a 10% profit based on whatever their sales are now, and their sales go up wholly and solely because their input prices go up, so say say they're making $100 million in sales now, the aluminium price doubles and they go up to have to put their prices up and so sales go to $200 million, then their, their um, profit percentage goes up. 
um, even though they're, they're still paying more for, for their aluminium. So it can have a benefit to a, to a company just, I guess, because of the math. But uh, whoever asked that question last week was completely right. What What's probably not going to happen with CAA is we're not going to see that uh, flow through from sales to bottom line profit increase that we would see if it was a if CAA was a smelter of aluminium and the input was bauxite and the output was aluminium. And we, I spoke about that last week too, where a resource company can be wonderfully leveraged if, uh, if its operating costs are low enough so that when the price of the commodity goes up, any additional sale flows through almost as com- completely as 100% profit to its bottom line. So I, I did actually, when I was talking about CAA, think, thought that they operated the aluminium smelter in, um, in Gove, but I think I got that wrong. So uh, apologies to people if I misled them. I think CAA will still go up with the rising aluminium price, but I don't think it'll be a, a gangbuster sort of increase um, because it doesn't have a smelter, which I was mistakenly uh, thinking that they did. I don't think we should sell CAA, by the way. It was still always on our buy list, so it was always a, a quality company with a good value. So I'm not saying we should sell it, but uh, but I just wanted to give a better answer to that question last week. You did give it a bit of a uh, nudge, though. You, you gave it a fudge nudge last week. A fudge nudge in what way? Well, it wasn't at the top of our list, I think. We remember we had GRR. You said, let's sell GRR and buy CAA because the aluminium price is going up. Correct. And and that was on the basis that I thought it had a smelter as part of its business, but it doesn't. Right. So, uh, yeah, so that was my mistake. But we're going to hold on to it anyway. Prepared to wear it. Yep. Okay. Yeah, we're still on our buy list. Right. And the second thing I wanted to talk about was Samfire because, uh, as we alluded to, the Chinese have. I don't think the Chinese government has come out and said they're not going to buy copper from Australia, but there's certainly been lots of reports around that people are saying that, either in the industry or um, in in those parts of China that deal with imports. Uh, so we could have a problem with it. Samfire came out last or towards the end of last week, Friday or Saturday, and said that they would be able to find other other customers, and they, they have other customers that China doesn't isn't their only customer, and they could they could transfer sales to other people, so it may it may not be a, a problem. And certainly, Samfire has gone up today in line with the market, so that's a good thing. But I just wanted to highlight the fact that um, just like my Melbourne Cup tips, the universe is, uh, has gone against me in the same week that I nominated nominated the stock to uh, to people to have a look at. <laughs> All right, well. Uh, let's talk about Kelly's Heroes Criterion. Kelly. Yeah, so Kelly Criterion. So I've been wanting to talk about this for a while. And the reason the reason is is because it's it's probably the closest thing I've come to to any sort of science in terms of how much to put into one particular purchase uh, in our portfolio and therefore to give us a number of stocks to buy in the portfolio. So before I get to what that math is, let me give us, give some background. And it goes, the story goes way back to, I think either pre World War II or maybe just after World War II, uh, with a guy called Claude Shannon, and and Claude Shannon did a lot of research for Bell Labs in terms of of uh, improving signal reception. So you know back in the days when 
battleships were communicating with the fleet command or or uh, you know, prime ministers were trying to call presidents and and they were doing it over old landlines and perhaps radio transmitters and things like that. Oftentimes the signals would be corrupted and it was Claude Shannon's research which helped to improve the transfer of those communications by putting some maths around at what level is the is the noise in the signal so much that you have to go back and ask for a resend of the transmission and it, and therefore the level that the signal can go through and you can do a bit of work on the signal to give it a boost and it will come through clearly and and that that math has applications not just in signaling uh, and it was a guy called uh, John Kelly who who worked that out and also a guy called Edward O'Thorpe and uh, there's, the, there's a great book called Fortune's Formula, which goes through all this, all this history. And the opening chapter um, outlines an old con that used to happen in Chicago back in the 20s and 30s called The Wire. And what it was is that people would set up a fake betting shop or, or maybe even use a real betting shop, and they would run a, a telephone line from the racetrack to the betting shop and then uh, they would somehow do a recording of the radio and then replay it a minute late so that people in the betting shop were placing bets on the race which had already run and the people who owned the betting shop already knew the winner because they had a telephone line to the racetrack and they, they could clean up because of that. And that was also the basis of the, the movie The Sting. That was the con in the movie The Sting. And then the uh, the question that we that they, they had to ask from time to time was, if the if the the signal coming down the line from the racetrack in Chicago didn't come through clearly, could they bet on that race, or or should they bet a fraction of their their money on that race? How how much how much uh, conviction should they have on their bet if the signal was a bit garbled and they thought they heard the winner but didn't quite clearly get it? And and, and that's where you know Claude Shannon comes in and says, well, he can do some math around that, and that's where Kelly and Thorpe came in. And Kelly took Shannon's math and said, what I can do is I can work out uh, the probability of, of something coming through clearly, and if you like. Well, that's the end of the free episode for this week. For the brand new folks, I want you to know that each week we have a free episode and a premium episode. Free episode runs about half an hour. Premium episode usually runs for an extra half hour to an hour, depending on how many questions we have from our audience that week because we spend a lot of that time answering questions. Uh, if you want to check out the premium episodes, you can go up to our website, qavpodcast.com.au and sign up for the two-week free trial. You get to have a look at the premium episodes. You get to have a look at the checklist, the getting started guide, all of the video content that we have. Uh, you get invited to our VIP dinners and our VIP Zoom calls for club members. You get to ask Tony questions that we can answer. You get to get invited to our uh, Facebook group, our private Facebook group, etc., etc. So, and also we get a, a private uh, club member newsletter each week we send out as well with some stuff in it. So check that out, qavpodcast.com.au. But as I said, if you're brand new and you want to, you're trying to figure out what's going on, Go back and listen to Season 3, Episodes 1, 3, and 5, 301, 303, and 305. And then you might also want to go back and listen to Season 1 as well, all of the free episodes in Season 1, where we go into a lot of detail about Tony's system and methodology 
and figure out if this is right for you, if it's something that you want to go further with, if you want to learn how to invest like Tony does, then you can check out the uh, QAV Club. Uh, The other thing I always have to say is we're not financial advisors, so don't take anything you hear on this as financial advice. This is just here to teach how one guy invests and thinks about investing. If you need financial advice or tax advice, please go see a financial advisor or tax advisor. Uh, With that, stay safe, good luck with your investing, and we'll be back next week.